Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. My first guest uh, today, who has had an extraordinarily turbulent year, but one which has inspired an awful lot of people. She is, of course, Kayleigh Willicott. Kayleigh, good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, how is Laylor? Because you worked him yesterday at Exeter. He is your stable star. He is the foundation stone upon which you are rebuilding not only your career, but also your life and your daughter's <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah. How's, he, how's he getting on? He's really well, touch wood, at the minute. Um, he did a lovely piece of work yesterday great to have Dickie back on board and and do something a bit different um yeah did a lovely piece of work and just got to keep him sound and healthy for the next two weeks I suppose and when you're a small yard and you just get that one really really talented horse we know what he did for Richard we know what he's done for you um how how much pressure do you feel pressure is something I think that you can Man it has to be managed, I think. Um, if I think about it too much, it can it can blow your brain a little bit. Um, but you can let it become a bit of a circus. But we just try and do him day to day. We know him. We know what he's capable of. And it's just trying to get him there on the day, fit, healthy, and show what he can do, I suppose, yeah. And plotting your way to, to Cheltenham, you've had to be quite brave because he didn't like the soft ground at Sandown over mm. Christmas. And then it's a question of right. How do we get him there in one piece, but get him sufficiently conditioned to, to give yeah. him his best? It must have given you a few sleepless nights. Yeah, the, ho the whole season so far has. Um, I was convinced when he came in from the summer that he'd, we'd be going for a, a little novice chase out of the way. He'd probably be favourite and, and have a little, you know, a little go round, learn a lot and, and hopefully win. And there wouldn't be too much attention on him. And it just kept going out the window with the, the dry weather. That gave me a lot of stress um, to f suddenly find myself ending up at, starting out in a grade two um, at Cheltenham. And it's, we just, you know, changed our expectations a bit just to have a good, you know, learning experience. We knew he was in good form. We knew, you know, we thought he'd run well, um, but we didn't expect him to quite do that. And then obviously going to sand down the pressure, you know, hikes up again because everybody just expects him to, to just do exactly the same. But it was completely different different day and um, he again he learned a lot um, but the one thing with him is he is better after a break you know he, he's always run well very fresh so it just seemed a sensible thing to do we couldn't get to Doncaster it was too firm I couldn't risk him um, and you know so we've just got to do what we've got to do um, and you were very happy with yesterday. What did he actually do? He did a two-mile piece of work. Um, they had, a, you know, sort of started at the winning post, warmed up around the top, you know, and just increased the light, quickened, and um, did a good piece up the straight up the hill. So, yeah. And Richard was riding him. Yeah, yeah, he was happy. Yeah, really pleased. Works up upside the King's Rit. He's another, you know, he's, he's probably the second best horse I've got. Um, work, he's a very, very good workhorse. So, um, yeah, it's a good piece of work to judge where they both were, really. And how much more serious work can you do between now and, and Cheltenham, or is it just a question of keeping him ticking over? Yeah, we'll, we'll keep him ticking over. He will have to do some pieces of work. He's a big, burly, stuffy type of chap, so he, he, he will have to keep working. But, um, you know, that was a good indicator yesterday. Now, Katie Rudd, who sold you the horse, is ins insistent that his name's Lawler. Everybody <laughs> here calls him Layla. Your owners call him Layla, so we're going with Layla for the time being, aren't we? Yeah, well, every, everybody at home, you know, we call him Layla. He's been Layla from the day he arrived. Um, you know, Richard and I have always called him Layla. His owners have always called him Layla. Bella calls him Layla. You know, whether it rightly or wrongly, that's what he gets called at home. So um, that's what we'll continue doing. 
Bella's your young daughter. Now she's the boss essentially, so if she calls him <laughs> Layla, you you ha you have to go with it. Yeah, yeah, and she yeah she's definitely the boss. And how's she doing? She's she's very well. Yeah, she's um, she really enjoys the horses, really enjoys it all, loves Layla and and gets really involved. So. It's over a year now since since you lost Richard, since, yeah. since he, t he took his own life. That was the 22nd of January, mm -hmm. 2018. Yeah. I, I remember seeing you maybe two or three weeks after that, mm. and you were out there saddling horses, mm. getting on with the job. To see you now compared to then is, I, I said it was a, a truly inspiring and inspirational story. I suspect you don't really think that you're inspiring other no. people, you're just getting on with it. <laughs> no, I, it's, it's difficult because... Um, for me, I, I don't actually remember too much. I, it, it's, it's a bit foggy and hazy. You know, the one thing I had to concentrate on, my priority was Bella, and I didn't want our life and her life to crash around us. Um, so I tried to keep as much of it as stable as possible um, and consistent, even if it was only on a temporary basis. And Horses, for me, growing up, were a big route of escape. You know, bad day at school, boyfriend show, anything like that is horses. You know, you go to horses and and it would always sort my brain out. Um, so I was quite adamant that I had to keep that going just until I could get my head straight enough to work out what, what we were going to do and what, what was going to happen. And so I was really, really lucky. Owners, you know, the, the right people supported me and um, I could keep, uh, to an extent, what we had going, you know, kept going. And um, so I had... I was adamant I had a list of commitments that, that Richard had already made, you know, whether that be the Cleave, the Betfair. He'd made a lot of entries going forward, um, mm. the Devon National. You know, I was, I was adamant that I was going to see those out and then make a decision. And um, so while it may have looked like I was just, just carrying on, I just focused on just trying to get all mm. of that done and, you know, for, for Bella just to keep it as consistent and and together as I could really without you know it was still very traumatic but you know did our best uh, was it a sense of like each each little day was a victory so you get to the end of the day and think we've managed another one we've managed another one we've managed another one taking it in small steps yeah each each day was different um look I can't say I had days where I refused to get out of bed you know but I was really lucky to be surrounded by people that said no that's that's not happening you know you've got you've got stuff to do you've got people around you that need you and um I was really lucky to have that support every day was different some days I'd I'd definitely be like right okay I can cope you know this is where we're going this is what we're doing and then other days I just couldn't see how it was all gonna get better um i just couldn't see where i was going and um again yeah just lucky to be surrounded by people that made sure that my life bella's life you know was gonna was gonna be okay there is a handful of people who who experienced the sort of personal tragedy that your your family did mm -hmm. but your situation is unusual insofar as it's being played out semi-publicly yeah which is very difficult mm -hmm. indeed so do you have to sort of shut out the surround sound in a sense sometimes yeah yeah you you have to deal with things i think in your own way and and like you say yeah it, it has been at times quite public and you you can s subject yourself to uh, criticism and other people's opinions on how you deal with things or or, or positive things you know there, there was a mixture of both and i think you just have to do do things your own way. You have to learn. You know, you have to do what you think is right, and and listen to the people close to you. And and you know, like I said, I've, I've had a lot of support, and we we've got through. And you know, it's, it's been a very mad twelve months, but we, we've got there, and then it keeps going. So, and what sort of what sort of character are you? Do you think to be able to <laughs> deal with the the situation that you've been put in? Um, I don't know. I think my family, my sister, and that they'd say I was fairly mentally quite tough um and uh, they'd always say you know i i have although i didn't feel it at the time 
I, I suppose you have to be quite tough. But I just, I just focused on Bella. I could not see. You know, I think she went to nursery one day, and and um, when I picked her up, the the teachers said she just keeps saying that she doesn't want mummy to be sad. And why is mummy so sad? And that, and that broke my heart a little bit. And you know, you just have to focus on the things that. You know, going forward, that you, you you just have to get get on with things. And that that bond between the two of you now must be extraordinary. Yeah, it's it's, it's changed things. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, she was a real daddy's girl, and um, she loved her dad. She, but I think yeah, since definitely, it's obviously you know she's she's very precious to me, and she's my main main priority. Similar token, it would be very easy for you to have said, I don't really want to talk about the way that Richard chose to end his life because mm. it's just not something I want to, to keep talking about. But you, you've expressly been open about it because you want to help other people who are in a similar situation. And your commitment to, to doing uh, good for mental health has been, has been pretty, pretty, pretty vivid. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... It's something that has to be talked about. I think that was one of the biggest downfalls of of, of, of our relationship, and, and also our, you know, the way things ended up is we didn't get, we didn't really talk about it, whether you know, and we didn't seek the help that we needed, and and we dealt with it in a way that didn't work in the end. Um, you know, look, and I, and I think not only do people need support that have that those mental health troubles or you know that struggle and and it's okay to struggle you know definitely since since january and since i've taken up things on in a different role i've felt a lot of different pressures and and had bad days good days and so i can sort of understand it a little bit more now but also for the support for people a bit like me that that, that live with people that are struggling and don't really understand it it's um it's hard, you know, and if you can talk about it, help other people, you know, it can only be a good thing. Do, do you think you do understand it better now? Better. Better. It's still really hard and it's a very complex thing and I think mm. that's that's one of the reasons that, you know, maybe people don't talk about it. If you don't really understand it, it's quite difficult to then, you know, start delving into things you really, really don't understand and, and the brain is very complex and... Um, you know, sometimes it is just better just to, you know, push it aside and ignore it and, and carry on about something else. But I definitely, definitely understand, you know, different things more. And sadly, I wish, you know, I'd be able to do things differently, but I can't. And, you know, so if we can do positive things going forward, it's something for Bella to look back on as well. Mm. And, and when she grows up, mental health is going to be very, very different in her generation. Yeah. Um, you know, it is going to be so different. So if she can look back and try and understand, you know, her childhood and, and what we went through, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a good thing. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Mickey, is there, is there an altogether different sensation taking Altior to the race course than any other horse? From, because I know he's, you know, tackling proper races, Grade One races, but there is there is a degree of expectation, and and for many, for many of us, it just seems a formality. Well, it's never that, um, and we were lucky enough to have to go through this for three years with Sprinter Sacra. And the amazing thing is that when he retired, we were lucky enough to, you know, Altior came around straight away, which is, you know, hard to believe. You can have two genuine two-mile champions like that in, in consecutively. But um, it's it, it's nice to have them, but it puts the pressure on you because expectations are enormous, and in fact, everybody expects them to win. Um, we all know that's not, you know, you can't expect anything. You certainly take nothing for granted. Do records do much for you when you think about them? Because I suppose he's closing in on big bucks of, of 18 consecutive, but what he's done is doing it over hurdles, fences, anything that comes his way. But also for you, if you were to win the Queen Mother Champion Chase in three weeks, you tie level with Tom Draper with six wins, the winning most in the history of the race. Do you sit back and look at records sometimes? It would be nice. I mean, again, we've been very lucky with the champion hurdle and the champion chase. You know, we've had a lot of very good horses and... Um, numbers don't really sort of add up. I mean, you just want to have a good week, and and you need you need one. 
but then we're greedy lots, you know, and, and if you have one, you want two, don't you, and three, and you, you know, it, it's, it's very tough these days, and, and the, the Irish contingent are so strong, and the last two years have been, I mean, Ireland have, have wiped us out, I mean, England yeah. out, if you like, in that sort of competition. So we've got to try and see them off somehow. Is Altior the best he has ever been at this moment, this season? Not at the moment, because he had a, he's had a week when we were snowed in, mm. and he's just had a vaccination, and we've had to deal with the elements and this wretched flu thing that has um, certainly caused a lot of chaos, yeah. I just want to talk to you about the champion hurdle, because we talked about records, and if... Bouverdere were to go and win one, he would emulate Isterbrack, he would emulate C then, going back 30 years for you, which would give you some personal pride there, I imagine. It would, of course it would, because they go down as greats, and justifiably so. Everything's gone well, he got beaten at Christmas, I know, but that was rather ironically by one of our own, on, on a sort of completely different track, on very different ground. And Verdana Blue is a very good filly, on fast ground, which is what it was at Kempton, and you know that's 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 what she is. Um, she'll she'll run again, and so will Brainpower. So we'll hopefully have three in it anyway. But um, we're going to get threatened from a lot of other sides as well, and particularly two fillies in Ireland. Just sticking with Bouverdet, it, it would seem silly to say for a dual champion hurdler, is he an underrated champion? I think he has been a little bit. I mean, he hasn't got the at the sort of sex appeal of Isterbrax and, and See You Then's actually but, but See You Then was funny because he never ran very often, no. he had some very very dodgy front legs and we couldn't really train him, you couldn't run him very often it was just a matter of trying to get to, you just had to get to Cheltenham in our own way. This fellow he's done nothing wrong, I mean he wasn't over impressive in, in the champion last year because I don't think he was right. But the first year he was? No the first year he was very good mm. yeah, yeah and he, he looked it too I mean, he's a very good horse, and I think, you know, Barry said he felt fantastic in the fighting fifth um, at Newcastle at the beginning of this year. He, he really was good, and I think that's when everybody sat up and said, and, and really did give him a lot of credit. You know, he's got to go out there, we've got to get him there, um, fit and ready to beat whatever's put in front of us. And with Verdana Blue, I suppose if you throw in the Irish Mayor's Lorena and Apple's Jade, it, it could be the year of the Mayor, really, couldn't it? <laughs> I hope that's not the case. I personally don't think she'll beat him on good to soft ground on Cheltenham Hill. Mm. For stock, Kempton and Cheltenham are two different places and the ground will be completely different. And is brain power to a degree the joker in the pack this year? Well, he was very good in the international. Um, I, he's probably as good as anything else is in England. Um, yeah. So he could be... He could, and sadly, we've had to re retire my ten to yours, who's been knocking around in all those, so he was th second in three champion hurdles. Yeah. And the novice chaser Santini would look right up there. Um, just in terms of his early stages over fences, would you, I mean obviously you would have liked to have got him a run in the Reynolds tab, but would that really worry you going into Cheltenham? No, we're just going to have to improvise um, and keep working at it as best we can. We're going to have to throw quite a lot at him in quite a short time. Um, it just lacks, I'd, I'd, I'd have liked another race, yes, but um, that was taken away. So we've, as I say, just got to make up our own little rule book and, 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 and press on. Uh, he got beaten by a very, very good mare who's gone on to win another grade one in the Feltham, the Corso Star. Did you agree with the sentiment that he was very much the one to take out of the race, though, Santini? Well, I think the second and third were, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I think the winner's very good, you mm. know, and she's proved it too. Um, very good. And I think um, the second horse, uh, Paul's horse, it, 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 he's good, and I, think, I don't game. think there'll be much between those two yet. Talk about Mike Bite, um, who's had the two runs this year. If you wind the clock back this time last year, he was going in as Gold Cup favourite, but it's a, a different story this time around. But from the vibes we've had this morning, it does sound as though that little bit of a glow's back. I was just very happy with him on Saturday. It was his first bit of work back. We've been sort of tinkering under the bonnet, if you like, and trying to just tidy things up and not mend, but obviously trying to, trying to get him back on track. And I've got to say both Nico and I were very, very pleased with his work on Saturday. Yeah. And he just was showing us, you know, good vibes.
It would only be fitting for Mike Byatt were he to go on and win the Gold Cup this year off two lacklustre runs because he's been the, the, the public enigma all the way through, really, hasn't he? Well, he's a great character. <laughs> um, he's got a lot of flamboyance about him and he's got a lot of showmanship. And when he's like that, he's, he, he is very good. Um, so, yeah, it would be great. It would be very satisfying to get him back um, to, and let alone to win a Gold Cup with him because... He's got a lot of followers and he's got a great team of owners that are all great mates. So He looks you know, the part as well. And he's a beautiful looking horse, yeah. He has got a lot of wow about him. He's had the wind tweaks as well since Kempton. Well, we just cauterised his yeah. palate, which is, a, I mean, that was a little bit of a whim on Henderson's behalf that, you know, we've got to do something. And it's something that very often needs redoing. So it, it was only a repeat, but it, it, sometimes, it, it does often help. I won't go through all the novice hurdlers by any means. I just want to talk about Champ. I mean, does he show you he's a grade one winner already, but does he show you at home the box office behaviour, the box office style that the name suggests? <laughs> well, tough on a horse to get given a name like that. And I must say, even you know, this time last year, I'd have sort of been surprised if he was going to be coming in rated as high as he is. But he was a young horse, and we were just sort of biding our time with him. He was taking a lot of time. And... Um, it, it, he's a he's a pleasure to train. Yes. Um, but he's not flashy. He's he eats, sleeps, and works. He just gets the job done. He's professional, much like his namesake. You know, again, AP was never flashy. <laughs> he went on a while. But but, <laughs> but he he you know he he was just so professional. He's tough, and he's and he, he's obviously a very talented horse. Will the hustle and bustle of a championship novice race at the festival just suit him? and his perhaps sort of exuberant style early in the race? Well, it was really the way that they came and light was at Newbury where actually Aidan Coleman rode him. Mm. And suddenly halfway down the back straight, I don't know why, sort of some daylight occurred and right. the, the thing took off. And, and it was bizarre, really, because he's never done that before and it was far too soon. Yeah. Uh, blimey, that's Hard that. work in that ground as well. Yeah. I said, well, that's, that's, that's the end of him. He'll never get home from there, but actually all he did was gallop further and further away. And then we went to the Chalo, and I thought he was good there. So, you know, two and a half round Cheltenham, I would say, would suit him well, and he doesn't mind the mud. So he's part of the team anyway. I mean, he's one of the, you know, I, I think where we're lucky is the novice hurdlers are a good squad across the board. Are you at a stage a few weeks out where you're just shuffling the pack a bit now? I think we've got a pretty good idea where we're going, but the trouble is we missed races last week through the inability to run through having to have to vaccinate. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have got to change plans a fair bit. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Welcome back to Light to Say. Kayleigh Woolacott is still with me, and she has been joined not only by Harry Dome, but also by Maddie Playle, back with us from the Racing Post. How are you, Maddie? Yeah, very good, thanks. It's a pleasure to be back, so thanks for having me. Well, it's nice to have you back. And how much have you been racing recently? Have you been here, there, and everywhere? I haven't too much. I had a really busy end to the year. Um, so the start of the year sort of had a bit of time off, went away for a couple of days, and, and then just building back into it now as Cheltenham approaches. So... Uh, on top form, anyway. Now, we had the old editor of the Racing Post in last series, uh, Bruce Millington. New editor, Tom Kerr. Mm -hmm. January the 6th, he was our guest. How's the, how's the new regime? Or do you not notice the, the To joy? be honest, like, it's not really affected me that much personally. It's just, if I do anything wrong, it's a different person shouting at me <laughs> instead. Um, but, yeah, no, it seems to all be going great. And uh, Tom's a great person. Um, amazing to work is for. The and is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no, in all seriousness, you know, I'm thrilled for, for him and I, I'm confident it'll do an amazing job so it's exciting times at the post very transitional at the minute as well fantastic we know you're a massive jumps fan as well and Cheltenham is just round the corner have you had a load of bets yet or not I haven't you know what this year I don't know if it's just me but it seems very very open so I'm keeping my cards close to my chest anyway okay well you might get a little bit of help from the man on your right Harry Derham first visit to our to our studio Harry and long overdue I might say as well yeah I um, must admit when email came through on Monday, I thought they might have got the wrong person, um, <laughs> but delighted to be asked. Not a bit of it, and the yard is going so well at the moment, and came out of that you know, enforced lockdown we had for six days, and you were absolutely firing. Eight winners last, last Saturday, and another how many yesterday, two or three? Two yesterday, yeah. yeah. Um, no, things are going very, very well. That's probably why the lockdown was so frustrating, really, because we knew the horses were in uh, really good shape, 
Um, and since racing's been back on, they've proved that. So we just hope that for the next three weeks they continue in such good form. And I doubt there were many people who had a, say, 10 to follow or 12 to follow list going into this season who would have had surname and Clandes Oboe chalked up as the first two names on the sheet. If they did, they now look like geniuses. I mean, at the beginning of the year, did you think they were going to be the ones that, that came through and looked superstars? Probably not thought, but you always hope with young horses like that. Um, certainly with Clan from... When he was very young, um, we always thought he was a very good horse, and Paul's always had a huge amount of belief in him. Um, but he always has just said that I can't rush him, he's a big horse, um, and he's just got better and better. I was probably a little bit surprised to see him win the King George. Paul was not a bit surprised. Nor was the jockey um, by the side. No, and, and Harry, to be fair, all season, um, he's never ever going to be getting off Clanders Oboe for anyone. Um, Paul and Harry kind of felt that Haydock was the making of him, really. Um, and he just got better and better. And he looks like he's continuing to improve. But as a seven-year-old, you'd like to think they'd do that. Mm. Um, and in the case of Surname, he's a massive horse who's got stronger over time. Um, and the thing with him is that he's been quite a difficult horse to train. Uh, he's a little bit um, aggressive in his training. He's been... <laughs> The last two years has not really been for the faint-hearted with him. Do you ride him much? No, I rode him <laughs> once um, when Scott was away two years ago, and I came in to Clifford and I said, I'm never ever riding him again. And he was like, well, what happened? I said, well, I'm just totally out of control. Um, you confessed to everyone that your bottle had gone years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, but no, Scott, who rides him every day, um, in all fairness, has, has been a big part to play in surname success because he's um, a difficult horse and you know he's he's probably been the making of him because he's been able to just relax him enough that he can listen to a jockey in his races and now he can put in performances like that we're going to talk a little bit later on in the program about his racing we'll leave that for a little <laughs> bit later um, but Kaylee, it was interesting to hear what Harry was saying about the rider at home and the and the horse and just getting inside their head and getting them to move forward. It, it's a real part of a trainer's skill, isn't it? Identifying who best suits what to make them go in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, different people suit different horses and and bring out the best in them. You know, um, so yeah, definitely part of it is identifying you know who can do the best for that whether it be the same person every day or you know some of them cope with different people every day sometimes you just want to put um you know have a specific work rider you know it's all part of it yeah and is, is there sometimes where you'll put somebody on because you want a different pair of eyes you want a different view or you want something fresh oh yeah for sure um i mean sometimes you find if someone's been riding a horse for six months or so they might get something in their head or through no fault of their own they might think they're always maybe looking for something um, so it is very much if you you in an ideal world you'd like someone that that knows their horses um, but different horses suit different things mm. you know um, and there's some horses that if you didn't have a patient person on them it would be a, a nightmare and there's some people that you know well if they rode a lazy horse he wouldn't be fit all season so it's just getting to know your people as well as your horses really and presumably the boss is full of the joys of spring at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, I mean... Um, I imagine he's whistling round the yard in the morning. <laughs> I think... Do you know the thing is, when um, things are going well like this, um, he just becomes more determined, actually, more than anything. <laughs> um, after um, last weekend at Ascot, Monday morning, he was, like, like so, so focused and, like, we need to keep this going. We're not... You know, we we very much enjoyed um, last Saturday, Saturday evening, and Sunday morning we probably weren't all feeling brilliant. But Monday morning he was like, right, we're flying, but we're not going to stop. This is this is keeping going that way, and um, that's the remarkable thing I think about him really because it's not like oh well, you know, we've done quite well. We can just have a quiet week now. It was like we're going here, here, and here. And these horses are going to have big chances, and let's keep going. It's a relentless appetite for the game, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, he, um, for me, for, for a young guy working for him, it's amazing because you, you look at all his success and what he's done in the past is remarkable, but actually all he's worried about is what, what we're going to do um, in the future. And, you know, even, even yesterday, Horse and Rello winning the bumper, he can't wait to go novice hurdling with him next season, you know. Um, and so for a man who's had that much success to be 
all he's focused on is the next day and the next winner, really. Well, you had your novice hurdle winner yesterday as well mm -hmm. in the in the Dovecote novice hurdle at Kempton. We can we can take a look at it now. And, and Maddie, the horse we were all looking for and looking out for was the horse in the blue and white colours, Angel's Breath. It was all the rage and was favourite for the Supreme Novices Hurdle, but um, Southfield Stone was having none of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have to remember with this second horse, he'd had one run. He'd won his point to point, and then he went straight to the kennel gate at Ascot. So. He, it's still very inexperienced for a horse at that stage of his career, unlike Southfield Stone, who's been doing lots of running and lots of winning. Um, I mean, it was a big surprise with looking with regards to Cheltenham. Southfield Stone has been to Harry Minnitgo. You know, he's not entered in any of the, the big novice races. So where do you go from here? Angel's breath was barely touched with the whip yesterday. Uh, it was, it was clear, he was clearly told, if, if you're not going to win, don't beat him up. Yeah, and even looking at him in the paddock, you thought he might just improve a little bit. Um, I'd imagine Nicky is thinking about in the middle of March, not now. But your horse has got the Imperial Cup as a potential target? That, and I mean, you could go to Aintree. There's loads of places you could go. He's in the county hurdle at Cheltenham, but Paul, if I know Paul with a horse like him, he'll probably be thinking maybe avoid Cheltenham and try and win a few more races somewhere else. There's lots of prize money to be won away from Cheltenham. Um, but he's just a really genuine, improving horse. He's not really done anything mm. wrong this season. Um, and the size of him, you'd like to think he'd be quite a nice chaser. He's a big unit, isn't he? He is a big horse, yeah. And that's the thing, not every horse is super much up, but that must be one of the lovely things for you, Kayleigh, when you went in November. You were think, you're probably thinking, well, would he be better on a flat track because he'd run so well at Aintree before? Mm. But he he scooted round there beautifully. Yeah, it was it was nice to have a go round Cheltenham um, to find out whether it would suit him because, like I said, he had predominantly run over flat tracks and, and been at his best on flat tracks when... Um, yeah, first time over fences. We we did think he'd make a better chaser than Hurdler, though. He's much more natural over a fence, so it was really exciting to, to see him, yeah. I mean, Maddie, you've, you've heard Kayleigh talking today, and you, you, you're familiar with, with her story and the story of Layla. If Layla wins the Arkle, I think it's fair to say that um, you will be sitting in that press room to the small hours. Yeah, exactly. Um, such an inspirational story, such an amazing story, and, and really uplifting, and, uh, yeah, lots of us will be cheering on Layla. Absolutely. Let's um, move on and have a look back at some more of yesterday's action. I think we're going to have a look at the 888 Sport Handicap Chase, which was won by Walt. And uh, Paul Nichols had three in the, in the race, and uh, Adrian Dupont fed best of your trio in third, Harry. It, it just seemed that they didn't really come back to the leaders. Yeah, good, good ground, sorry, Ryan Kempton. That can happen. Um, the thing is with Adrian Dupont is that you have to take your time on him and ride him patiently because he's quite a keen going horse um, so you have to ride him for a bit of luck and hope they go quickly um, and Harry said from kind of seven fences out that he was felt like he was going to struggle because when when you go fast in a race horses tend to be coming back and you can mm. go through them but because they hadn't gone that quick yesterday there was a wall of horses in front of him he yeah. had to go wide around the last bend um, and things just didn't quite work out but he's run a very very good race I mean he was closest at the winning line um, but you know in those big handicaps you need a bit of luck and sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want it to. But he's to. talented enough that he's going to drop on one of these in, a, in due course well, isn't he? I, I believe so um, he's staying three miles really well now which we always thought he would but he was just a little bit too keen and a bit too competitive um, a fast run three mile handicap I believe he'll win a, a really nice race at some stage yeah. It was a second win in the race uh, through its various different incarnations and names for Neil Mulholland with Walt, who Neil's on the line now. Morning, Neil. Morning, Nick. How are you? Always good to talk to you, especially on a Sunday morning, because you know you've done something good the previous day, uh, and that was the case yesterday with Walt. Were you hopeful going in? Um, yeah, but unfortunately the horses had just been knocking on the door, a couple of them, and you know yourself, when, when you're not just getting the rub up the green, <laughs> you're just not, not as confident. Uh, but he got a, a lovely ride from Sam Tristan Davis. Actually, in the interview afterwards, he was saying he thought he might have hit the front a little bit too soon. Yeah, um, he jumped the last, big and bold. Um, but um, obviously, we don't want the handicapper to think that. So <laughs> we'd be we'd be happy enough with where he hit us. Has he exceeded your expectations all told? Um, very much so. You know, he's um, you know it was only. It was only four runs ago we were scratching our heads at Fontwell when you know we were riding them a bit more patiently and um, it didn't happen and you know we said we'd put a bit of headgear on them and be a little bit more aggressive and thankfully you know it all it all went really well you know. 
And is he a, a, a horse that you want to take to the to the festival now? Yeah, we we, we entered him um, for the festival. You know, his owner Phil Simmons. Um, he's new to the game. He, he, he's a man that has got plenty of enthusiasm, and um, you know he, he'd like to go forward. And um, you know he he we entered him there to take part, so we did. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully, he's kept progressing. And even since we've entered him, so you know he's he again a bit like yesterday. He's not. He, he deserves to be there and take a chance. And if he's good enough, well, well, that's that's fantastic. So you entered him as a social runner. He could be a very social runner if he uh, if he gets to the gets to the last with some sort of a chance. Yeah, well, you know, obviously social runner, but like he he, he would never have been the sixty six to one shot. But he he, he wouldn't have been one of the favourites no. either. But you know, obviously people. You know that owner yesterday. It was his first time having a a nice Saturday runner, and so he's new to the game, and and that that's it's great for him and everybody involved. And just looking ahead, with whatever it is, fifteen days or so to go, how many do you think you'll be you'll be taking to the festival? You know, we'll have we'll have um, probably maybe five 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 or six entries there, the likes of Impulsive Star and the Young Master, and a few horses like like that will be going. And um, yeah, you know. Fingers crossed, they can make their presence felt somewhere. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. Main news point this week uh, threatens to undermine racing in a way that it is rarely undermined, even with what we had to endure with the flu vaccination situation a couple of weeks ago. And that is that the prize money situation, particularly the prize money that is on offer for class four, five and six races at the ARC race courses, has become an untenable situation for many trainers who are choosing to boycott races. Now, we have been in similar situations before, but this one seems to be more intense uh, because the mechanics of it are that in order to unlock levy funding for lower grade races, uh, the race courses have to show their own commitment to those races to the tune of a certain amount. And because ARC are maintaining a business plan by which they can't do that because they say of the closure of betting shops, which has reduced their media rights payments, then that will not unlock the levy funding to go with it. So essentially it's a double blow to prize money for those grassroots races at the lower end. Now Rafe Beckett is a member of the National Trainers Federation Council. He's not necessarily speaking for them today, but he is a man who always had and does have uh, strong views on this subject and um, somebody tweeted me this morning Rafe and said we've been talking about this for 25 years but we haven't actually yet come up with a solution as to fundamentally where the blame lies for what we perceive to be poor prize money at the lower end and what we're actually going to do about it so what are we going to do about it well the fault lies in, I think everybody is of the opinion the fault lies somewhere between the bookmakers and the race courses. As a result of the OFT ruling in 2004, which was instigated by William Hill, mm-hmm. the OFT gave race courses greater autonomy. In, in putting what fixtures they wanted on? Putting what fixtures, what, what fixtures they wanted on. I Unfortunately, think- when, the, when the program grew exponentially, the regulator didn't lease the fixtures to the race courses. Mm-hmm. They gave them them, and that has been that is where the, the that is where why we are where we are. So, is the simple solution not simply to say, right, let's just chop off this portion of poor performing fixtures, and we'll have more competitive well, racing for better money? <clears throat> that is that is an answer. The problem with that is, Nick, is that the, regu- the, 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 the BHA is made up as a, of a tripartite agreement. The race courses, the regulator, and the horseman. Mm-hmm. And bo- over both the last uh, fixtures uh, and funding review, i.e., what's going to happen for the following year, the race courses have asked for more fixtures and the BHA have agreed. The horsemen, every year over the last two years, have disagreed. So the regulator and the, and the, and the race courses are going one way, and the horsemen are going another. 
that's a slight shift from the horseman's policy in 2004-05, isn't it? So then the horsemen were not happy to have the fixture list reduced. Now would you say that it is broadly agreed, there's a consensus amongst horsemen that fixtures should Well, I can say, I can say that the ROA and the NTF have argued against an expansion of the fixture list. And from the BHA's point of view and from the racecourse's point of view, why is an increased fixture list good? Is that simply because of the money they're receiving from licensing offices per race. Yeah, they get paid. They won't admit to it, but in course of conversations, we know from conversations with uh, various jockey club racecourse people that they get £950 per runner per race. That's what they were getting last year. Now, are we expected to believe that ARC, who, let's face it, have shown to be the most ruthless outfit there is, are we expected to believe that their media rights deal is so different from Jockey Club racecourses? I think that's I think it's very hard. That's a, that's a giant leap of faith. Equally, Jockey Club racecourses have committed to keep their funding, uh, their, their, their contributions to prize money at a, at a level this year. Which unlocks the levy funding for the grassroots exactly. racing. But if you're Martin Cruddus, who is running ARC, and I've known Martin for many years. And one thing I, he's yeah, a friend of mine. Yeah, and one thing I know about him is that he's a man who is passionate about horse racing. He loves horse racing. Yeah. Um, but I, I, he, would, he, I, would, I would argue I would argue that his depth of knowledge of the sport is lacking. Yeah, I, I, maybe. Uh, but he, he, is, he is someone who is... is Enjoys the sport. Absolutely, he's not. He's absolutely. not simply a, a bean counter or a, a number. No, cruncher. absolutely. He has horses in training. You know, he's yeah. a supporter. I uh, agree. Yeah. Now, his responsibility, like the chief executive of any um, public limited company, is to is to do the best by by his shareholders. Surely, and why is why is that why is that fundamentally unreasonable? If you came from from this from outside racing and just looked at it in the round you'd have a hard job convincing people that Martin Crudus wasn't doing his job well uh, by, by, by attempting to uh, work to the budget. Okay, well, let's look at it another way. Mm -hmm. The finance director of ARC said that the flu shutdown cost them between one and a half and two million. Mm -hmm. That was 13 meetings. They said yesterday, Martin said yesterday, that the, uh, the impact was minimal from those two races not going ahead. Well, you can't have it both ways. You know, in the depths of winter, in the middle of winter, the fixtures they had, they wouldn't have been getting a lot through the gates in those days. What's that work out of? Conservative estimate, that cost them 100 grand yesterday not to run those two races. On a Saturday, on the third biggest day of that racetrack, of their busiest racetracks year, I think it's hard to believe that, uh, that uh, you know, runners mean money for them. So, he says he's going to hold firm. And he thinks that other racecourse groups, presumably Jock Club racecourses and the larger and smaller independents, will follow suit when they have to. When the economic realities bite for them, they will have to follow Ark's lead. Do you buy into that? No. No. None of us buy into that, you know. Racecourses have been scalping owners and trainers for, ever since the OFT ruling. For 150 years, racecourses were kept away from the running of the sport. And then from 2004 onwards, we've had to, we've had to uh, dance to their tune. Mm. And trainers as individuals are saying enough. We've had enough. I got an email yesterday from one of my longest standing owners saying, I don't want any more entries at art race courses. Independent. I hadn't spoken to him for two months. And is this someone who's owned horses for, for a long time? And is it a, a prominent owner? Somebody not a prominent owner, but a guy who's had a lot of horses over the years and for a long time. And that, we'll see more of that. Okay, so how, how united a front is this on the part of the trainers? How, how much havoc can you, can you wreak? Uh, and well, first of all, there's no collusion, all right? You know, Martin's taking SIS to the, to the High Court for 
for uh, collusion between with SIS colluding with the bookmakers. So there's no collusion, but I'd like to see him take the trainers to the High Court. Two collusion cases on the go at one time. We'd love to see that. Um, I'm sure the sport would. So, so uh, you say there's no collusion, but there's got to be some kind of cooperation to affect Absolutely, but you're telling... There will always be people who ah, run. Okay, well, there'll be people who run for 500 quid. Let, if you... absolutely, absolutely, but there's the depth of feeling, I think, are among those disparate group as trainers are, and individuals as they are, operators as individuals. You're really telling me that I am t I'm going to get David Ellsworth, of all people, the great David Ellsworth, the greatest dual-purpose trainer this country's ever produced, mm -hmm. a man in his, who's been trained for 45 years or whatever he's trained. He's really telling me that me, I'm going to tell D David not to run that horse tomorrow or Saturday. But what I can tell you, what I can tell you is this. That 18-runner novice took half an hour. That's to, all it took. To whittle down to basically Half nothing. an hour. Yeah. Three calls to two, two octogenarian trainers who wouldn't be on WhatsApp. And that's what they are. That's what they are going. That's what Ark are going to be dealing with. You. This is not. You know, they can write all the letters they want to the NTF and the ROA, threatening letters. They can go ahead and do do that to their blue in the face. But this is individuals, people who aren't even members of the NTF or the ROA, or whatever, going, we've had enough. We've had enough. To run that race yesterday, for four, those races yesterday, for four and a half thousand pounds, when the same race was worth the same or more 25 years ago. I looked up the other day, Nick, and I said it to Martin Crudis in an email. The most bet on flat handicap last year was the Lincoln. Mm -hmm. I, I went to work for Jimmy Fitzgerald in, the, in September 1990. Six months after Avish Star won the, won the Lincoln, it was worth 40, 48,000. Avish Star won 48,000 that, that year when he won the Lincoln. The Cambridgeshire, broadly similar handicap, not as much money bet on it last year as the Lincoln. The Cambridgeshire was worth 61,000 that year. Last year, the Cambridgeshire was worth 99,000, and the Lincoln was still worth 61,000. And I was referred to as a senior trainer. That was my first job in racing. Consistently, they've been cutting it to the quick for as long as they possibly could, ARC. And trainers, as individuals, have had enough. Well, we've, been, we've been here before. We've had incarnations of this before. Yeah. There was a, we, there was a boycott at Leicester and remember, in 2010. And you'll look be, at Leicester's prize money since. And you'll be familiar with the tariff system. Yeah, the, during the tariffs. During the tariff yeah. system, um, which ended. Did that end satisfactorily? Well, Leicester's prize money has been in line with most other independents ever since, for example. Uh, Worcester, they had a boycott, didn't they? Um, Charlie Mann and Twiston, Nigel Twiston Davis and all of them, they all organised a boycott a couple of years later or a year or two later. But the point, the point I would make is that they can't have it both ways, you know. Art cannot, art cannot have it both ways and uh, I'm not going to labour the point, but we've had enough. I'm, I'm very conscious that yeah, we have to declare our interest here. This this channel essentially is owned by Racecourse Media Group. Um, Jockey Club is the biggest shareholder of that. We are not owned in any part by by ARC. Uh, and I'm very conscious that the when you talk about the racecourses running the sport, we're not just talking about ARC. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to put them in a a box when all racecourses in this country have a degree of culpability for I agree uh, for, I for agree. a reduction in prize money levels. I agree. Absolutely agree with that, but you know, they and uh, the race courses run by the Sandersons, for example, have been the bottom of the pile consistently. How confident are you that you can hold the race courses to ransom significantly to make a change and to get this show back on the road again? Because at the moment, this is going to cost racing an awful lot of money, and that's to no one's benefit, is it? Well, it's already costing us money, you know. I mean, the the people who, you know, we employ 45 people. But I started 
when I started, I employed two. You know, mm. those guys, those guys with 10, 15, 20, 30 horses are being squeezed every year by the likes of ARC and other racecourse groups. And uh, we have to look after them. You know, this is, this is about, this is about the sport, the horsemen looking after each other. The racecourses want to be seen as stakeholders. They haven't acted like stakeholders for a long time, in my view, you know. You know, they don't put anything back in their venues, you know. If you go and put, you know, we, they're, they're taking two-thirds of the media rights money, two-thirds of it. We're getting a third back into prize money. If you go and put on a West End production in the Haymarket Theatre, and the Haymarket Theatre says, well, we're going to keep two-thirds of it. <laughs> the production wouldn't go ahead, would it? And this is no different, you know. Racecourses want to act like stakeholders. This is their opportunity. You know, we're providing the show. They're just providing the theatre. No more. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Award ceremonies, particularly in horse racing, are not everybody's cup of tea. But everybody in this sport does agree that the Godolphin Stud and Stable Staff Awards are not only extremely important, they also provide an extremely enjoyable occasion, as we witness once again Monday last. prestigious Employee of the Year Award at the 2019 Godolphin Stud and Stable Staff Awards. It is Cash Fitness. I work with so many fantastic people and there's so many people that are so deserving of this and it's a real team game. No one can do it on their own and I work with the most fantastic team and every day is a joy and we laugh and we enjoy the highs and we get through the lows together so it's fantastic. What a night, and what a night in particular for Employee of the Year and the winner of the Leadership Award for the year, Catch Bissett, who's based with Nick Alexander's team in Scotland. Catch, thank you very much for joining us here in the Luck on Sunday studio. What a week for you. It's been an amazing week. It's um, flown by. Um, it was fantastic. The most important thing to me was to get back to the team and sort of congratulate all of them because it's not one person. It's all about them, and uh, they were very, very supportive in the whole process. And I think we're going to have a nice party now, I think. I think you deserve a nice party. I think you're allowed to enjoy it. You know, I think you can, you can be as depriving of yourself as you want, but th this is an important award, and it's in, in recognition of an, an awful lot of extremely, extremely hard work. Just give us a flavour of what life's like as assistant trainer to Nick Alexander. So Nick and I work quite closely together about what the horses are doing and what the, pe the people are doing every day. We have a meeting every morning, going into the day, discuss the horses, discuss what the staff are going to do, any extra jobs that we want to get done too. And then my real main priority is managing the staff and uh, organising the rotas. We uh, really like our staff to have a day and a half off each week, which I think is really important for them. So the rotas and managing what they're doing and whatnot is quite a big deal of what I do day to day. And just tell me a little bit about how it all started for you. Um, so I actually have quite an unconventional background and way of getting into racing. I, I'm not a horsey person at all, not from the classic horsey family. Um, I got into horses riding in a riding school and um, my so dad... Where, so where, were you, where was home? Where did you grow up? Um, I'm an Edinburgh girl. Edinburgh, yeah. So. Um, literally went all through school. So you're a city girl, really? I'm a really, I'm a city yeah. girl, <laughs> and it's probably quite obvious sometimes. And uh, they, I rode out for Lucinda Russell, that was the first thing I did. My dad went to visit Lucinda's Looking at a Horse, which then came in to catch the park, who won 13 races, the most fantastic horse that, that we've ever had. And um, basically Lucinda got me into it. Um, I rode out through school and uni and went to Glasgow University, studied uh, history at Glasgow University, and then went on and did a masters in business psychology before going on to the uh, BHA graduate scheme and that's really 
when I got stuck in and decided that's what I wanted to do. And I, well, I've always wanted to work in racing, but actually having the confidence to say, no, I'm going to really give this a go and make a, um, make a career out of it. So the BHA gave me a massive leg up and I had a placement with Richard Phillips, um, who is the first <laughs> trainer to take on um, someone from the BHA. I don't think there's been one since, it's a real shame. And Richard taught me a lot and gave me a real leg up, as I say. You know, I, I, he made me his assistant trainer. He put a lot of faith and time into producing me as what I am now and I would know owe a lot to him. He's taught me some colourful language as well. <laughs> what was it like working for Richard Phillips? He's a, he's a very entertaining man, very engaging man, um, but what's he like to work for? Um, well, I thoroughly enjoyed working for him. He is a hard, hard man to work for in some ways in which he has very specific ways of how he likes things done, um, but I think he is really good at giving people the opportunities and really basically puts confidence in you um, whilst give, giving you a bit of a hard time on the way through. But that's good, it toughened me up and I look back on my time at Adelstrop with so much fondness and I really consider all of them down there my racing family. And how long were you there? I was there for three and a half years and I've always wanted to move back to Scotland. I think Scottish racing's fantastic what's going on up there. Um, the race courses are putting in real effort into sort of improving the facilities and their treatment of the owners as well as the stable staff and um, it's just an exciting place to be and work in just now and I, and I always wanted to go back there, it is home and I was thrilled to have the opportunity to come and work as Nick's assistant and as they say the rest is history. Yeah I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. I, I'm fascinated, you're, you're incredibly highly qualified academically um, and you, you made the interesting point there that you were the only person who's been taken by a trainer off the BHA graduate scheme, which is, it is quite sad really. It's as though the people in the BHA graduate scheme who've got high level academic qualifications should be doing something different from actually the, the hands-on day-to-day running of, of horses in training. Absolutely, and I think it's a real shame. I went through school um, loving horses, really into racing. I got into racing because my dad took me to Mossborough Racecourse and we watched it. And um, It's really, no one at school ever told me that it would be okay to do it. And, and a lot of the time I was like looking into other avenues and maybe work in PR, maybe be a lawyer. And racing's really all I wanted to come back to. I'm very lucky to have supportive parents who, who allowed me to go down that route and supported me. But I think that's a really important thing that we probably could address. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for people in racing and it's not just sort of being a clerk of the course but, uh, being a racing manager you know it's the I get a lot of fulfillment at my job at work I, I take interest in the business and it's you know we're working with vets it's, it, it's challenging staff and I think people, stable staff should deserve a lot more recognition for how sort of engaging it is not just it's physical job you work with your body you ride horses but also it's very mentally engaging and we encourage the staff to, to really focus and um, into what we're doing and where we're going and I think uh, we should really encourage people to do that. So would you prefer to see a cultural shift in the way we think about stable staff so we're thinking of stable staff as skilled workers essentially rather than just supporting the industry because the industry needs bodies on the ground? Oh, absolutely. Someone once said to me, if we were working in Formula One, you'd be the engineers. You're the people that you're working with the horse and you're trying to make the best athlete that you can. You're talking nutrition, you're talking about how we exercise. And it's the, the whole picture is sort of fine-tuning the animal to be the best athlete it can possibly be. And, and that is very like engaging. You know, people, there's a lot to think about. and. Everyone does that every single day. It's it's just a, it's not just a physical job. It, it is a mentally engaging job, and I think that's really important that people recognise that too. Do you think it's to your advantage that you didn't come from what you would call a traditional racing background because you can see things from a slightly different perspective? Um, I'm not sure. I'd say it was an advantage, and I'm not sure. I would say it was a disadvantage. I, I just always wanted to do it, and. Uh, I think everyone who maybe doesn't come from the same background is, you know, a lot of people will think that it's very sort of hor horsey families and you go from your horsey families into, I'm not like that. And there's loads of people out there that are not like that. And it's such a rewarding industry to be a part of. And anyone that loves working with horses, I really do think it's the most fulfilling place you can do it is to work in the racing industry. Now, clearly, given the fact that you won the leadership award and you're an assistant trainer, one of your main focuses is on, on man management. Mm -hmm. How do you 
motivate a team when a team's down, when you've had a string of bad results, when you've had three weeks without a winner, when it's pouring with rain, when there's a ton of abandonments, when there really doesn't seem to be much light at the end of the tunnel? How do you lift everyone to, to produce peak performance? I think the most important thing is that you're always working in a team and you always know where you're going to go. Um, it's sort of having that projection of where we want to be and how we want to work. And we always say you work with your head up. So you work with your head up and you um, acknowledge the people around you. You know, it is, we have touched upon, it's a physical job. You work with your head up and some days some people are tired or they've got something else going on at home. And if you work with your head up and you um, work with empathy, then you can pull together and push forward. And I think we're very good at doing that at Nick Alexander's. So if somebody's just struggling a little bit, the rest of you can pick up the slack yeah, and look after them? Definitely. But you, you just don't want too many of you to be struggling at the same time? No, sometimes we all are. But you know, at the same time, then you are a team and, and we all go on forward together. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.